Hello, my fellow crime divers, and welcome back to another episode of Crime Dive, where we take a deep dive into crime. I'm your host, Lexi. Thank you so much for listening. If you're new, welcome to the water. We're happy to have another diver. If you're returning, welcome back to the water. We missed you, and thank you for coming back to take another deep dive into crime with us. Please be sure to check out the episode description in order to follow me on TikTok as well as Instagram. I have all that linked below, as well as using our support link to help support us over here at Crime Dive. I've also included timestamps as well as trigger warning timestamps in the description box so you can skip around as much as you want in the episode if you want to go back to a part. I have all the timestamps for you here for your convenience. So in case you couldn't tell by the title, this is going to be a pretty wild case. I don't think I've ever heard of anything like this, honestly. It's something that sounds like it's out of a movie. It's not. This is a real person. This was a real tragedy. And this was someone who actually lost their life in a very tragic way. I do want to give a quick trigger warning over this case. We will be speaking about domestic violence, homicide, potential suicide, as well as harassment. We are going to be discussing the case of Gladys Rickert, a bride that was murdered on her wedding day in her wedding dress. Telling you guys right now, buckle the hell up. This is going to be a very crazy case. Let's just get into it. Gladys Rickert was born on October 15th, 1960 in Santo Domingo, which is a small town in the Dominican Republic. Gladys was a smart, beautiful, classy, hardworking, and ambitious woman, and she loved to have fun. Her nieces and family members actually described her as being a child trapped in an adult's body. So she was very into being chill and being fun and goofy and just having a great time and enjoying life. She did have a tough life growing up living in the Dominican Republic. She was pretty poor. Her family didn't come from much, but this just made her all the more ambitious and hardworking. She really wanted to make something of herself and just be successful within her life. Gladys was gorgeous. Like she was drop dead gorgeous. When she was 19, she gave birth to her son named Davis and she raised him as a single mother. Eventually she earned enough money to move herself to New York at the age of 22, but she decided to leave Davis in Santo Domingo with a relative because unfortunately she just couldn't afford to bring him with her. I'm sure that was probably really difficult for her, but she always knew that eventually he was going to join her once she earned enough money to bring him out there. But first she wanted to establish herself. So she decided to move with her sister and her nieces in a Manhattan neighborhood called Washington Heights. This was a place that housed a lot of Dominican immigrants. So the Dominican immigrant population was very high and this just made Gladys feel all the more comfortable and all the more at home moving to the States. Gladys learned English before she did anything else because she really wanted to go to school. She wanted to learn, she wanted to have an education and she knew if she wanted to do that, she had to learn how to speak the language. Eventually, she went to school to study accounting and she cleaned houses and offices to support herself. And she was finally able to save up enough money to move her son, Davis, to New York with her after four years. In 1989, Gladys had been living in the US for six years and she had already become the supervisor of the accounting department of a company in Midtown Manhattan. So she was really starting to fulfill her dream of sustaining a comfortable life in America for her and her son. As I said, I mean, she's really ambitious, very hardworking. She worked her way to the top and she was very smart and driven. In 1992, when Gladys was 32, she was on the New York subway just having a normal day when she ran into 40-year-old Augustine Garcia. He was also on the subway. They were kind of just talking, hanging out. They had just met and he thought Gladys was absolutely gorgeous. He's like, who is this beautiful stranger? So he decides to give her his number and she gladly accepts 
accepts it. So just a little bit of background on Augustine. Augustine Garcia was born in 1952 and he was also born in the Dominican Republic and was a Dominican immigrant, but he had been in the US for much longer than Gladys. He had been there for over 25 years and it's safe to say he had a pretty successful life. He was the head of the Dominican American Chamber of Congress. He was the founder of the Federation of Hispanic Chambers of Commerce and he was also the director of a nonprofit organization called Associates of the Dominican. He was very slick, very well put together. He was a classy businessman and he was very high in society. A lot of people really respected Augustine. You know, he was very successful. He was seen as like the American dream. You know, he came over to America. He didn't have much and he really built a great life for himself. And he was very dedicated to helping those who were less fortunate than him because he had been in their position before. So he was always giving back to his community. So it doesn't take long for Gladys and Augustine to start dating each other. They were very attracted to each other and they really wanted to see if they could make this work. In the beginning, they were a great couple. They had a nine year age gap, but it didn't really affect them much in the beginning. They would attend community events together and Augustine would just have Gladys on his arm. I mean, she was gorgeous. And he always called her his wife, even though they weren't married, but he was just so proud to have her and be with her that he wanted everybody to know. He introduced her to all of his colleagues. He took her to every event that he possibly could because he just wanted everybody to know that, hey, this was his woman, this was his girl. At the time, Augustine lived in North Bergen, New Jersey, which was a suburb outside of the city. And Gladys really wanted to take the next step with Augustine. So she takes her son Davis and they move in with him after they had been together for about a year. But there was some tension between Davis and Augustine's other two children. He had a daughter and a son from a previous marriage and he was raising them. And Davis really didn't get along with his children too much. Not to mention the fact that Gladys felt like Augustine wasn't really treating Davis the way he should too. Like he wasn't really treating him as one of his own. He was treating him like he was a stepchild. Gladys didn't like that. There was just too much tension in that home. Gladys was not happy there. Davis wasn't happy there. So they decided to move out after living there for two years. But Gladys and Augustine continued to see each other. This didn't end their relationship. It just kind of changed it a little bit to the point where they were still together, but they were going to live apart. And in 1995, Augustine helped Gladys buy a house in Ridgefield, New Jersey. And this was also a suburban area that was much quieter and a slower lifestyle. And that's really the type of life that Gladys wanted. Over time, the relationship started to sour a little bit. Gladys felt like Augustine was just a little too controlling. He always wanted to run everything. He wanted to have his way no matter what. You know, I mean, he was a pretty high up guy. He was a founder of a nonprofit org. He ran a lot of associations and a lot of groups. So I think he was just like used to being in charge. And Gladys was like, yeah, I understand that, but I'm my own woman. I'm my own person. You can't control me in everything I do. Not only that, but Augustine was known to have a pretty fiery temper, especially when he didn't get his way. And on one occasion, Gladys unfortunately had to experience this temper to the extreme. Gladys actually confides in her sister Norma about this. And there was one night where Augustine and Gladys had been arguing when all of a sudden Augustine pulled out his gun. And Gladys, of course, was terrified. So she runs to the bathroom and locks the door. Eventually, Augustine calmed down, put the gun away and they talked 
talked, but Gladys was pretty afraid. She never thought that he would do something like that to her. And her sister recalls this incident. She kind of says, you know, I could tell that she was afraid of him. I could tell that she was intimidated by him, but she would never come out and say it. She would confide in her about stories of, about him losing his temper and getting really upset with her. So everybody started to kind of gather that she was pretty scared of him. But despite these issues, Gladys really wanted to get married and have more kids. It was always her dream to live that life of settling down and having a family. She really wanted that for herself. But Augustine wasn't really in that same place. He was a businessman. He was very busy. He went to a lot of political functions and social engagements. He continued to want to be on the go. And he was very reluctant to get married. And a big reason why Augustine was reluctant to get married was because he was often unfaithful. And he just really couldn't seem to take that leap into marriage because he loved women. He was a huge womanizer and he always had relationships on the side. He was never fully faithful to Gladys. In December of 1998, Augustine had the affair to end all affairs. So at this point, they had been together for seven years and Gladys actually went to visit Augustine at his office unexpectedly one night in order to bring him dinner. So when she walked in to his office, she walked in on him with another woman. But this wasn't just any woman. Mm -mm. This was her best friend. This is the ultimate betrayal. And Gladys was like, I'm done. At this point, he had been cheating. He had been having relationships on the side, but Gladys really wanted to make things work with Augustine because she really wanted a family. So she kind of would forgive him and move on. But it was at this point where she was just like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. He just took it too far. And that was the last straw. Gladys broke up with Augustine after seven years of dating. As I said earlier, Augustine's type of guy, he gets his way and he's not going to stop until he does. So Augustine starts to call Gladys constantly begging her to take him back. Whether she was at work, whether she was at home, he was always calling her. But Gladys refused. She was done with him. He took it way too far and there was just no coming back from that. But Augustine would not give up. He shows up at her house. He begs her. He pleads with her. He's on her doorstep and she's like, no, I'm done with you. She's ready to move on. She rejects all of his advances and that's it. But of course, Augustine, he's not a man that's going to go away quietly. So what does he do? He begins to stalk her. One night, Gladys was at home getting ready for bed. She was alone when all of a sudden her doorbell rang but there was no one there. She opens a door and she's looking around, can't see anybody. And she looks down and she sees at her doorstep, white roses are on the ground. And white roses are a symbol of death in the Dominican Republic culture. She knew that this was a message that Augustine was trying to send her, that if you didn't take me back, this is what's gonna happen to you. And she was just absolutely terrified. She was paranoid. She always felt like she was being watched, you know, just always kind of looking over her shoulder. She was scared that Augustine was gonna do something to her. So so in June of 1999, Gladys decides that it's time to get back out there. Gladys meets a man named James Preston. He was 36 at the time and Gladys was 38. And they met at a restaurant that was near Gladys's office that she worked at. She was just getting lunch when all of a sudden she sees this man. James, once again, he thought she was absolutely beautiful. So he decided to shoot his shot and it worked. Gladys and James had instant chemistry. There was just like sparks flying as soon as they met. And James really treated Gladys 
goddess like the queen she was. He would write her songs because not only was he an accountant, but he was also a part-time musician. So he would write songs for Gladys, which is just so romantic. He would constantly tell her how much he loved her, how beautiful she was. He really put her up on a pedestal and he was very different from Augustine. James was much more chilled, much more laid back. He wasn't really worried about controlling things. He really wanted Gladys to be her own woman. Augustine, on the other hand, he wanted to be the priority. He wanted to be the person that was kind of bowed down to. So in August of 1999, Gladys and James were really at the height of their relationship. It was beautiful. It was going really well. And Gladys really felt like she had found her soulmate in James. And apparently James felt the same exact way because after only two months of dating, James proposed to Gladys. She happily accepted. I mean, she's been wanting to get married pretty much her whole life. She's always wanted that family. It's really nice that her and James wanted the same thing because that was a big point of contention in Gladys and Augustine's relationship. Augustine wanted to be a player and Gladys wanted to settle down and have a family. But James wanted what Gladys wanted. He also wanted to settle down and have kids and have a family. This worked out perfect for them. They both just wanted to get married and start right away. They didn't want to waste any time. But just because Gladys has moved on to another man does not mean that he's happy about it. Augustine was so in denial about the fact that he and Gladys were done that he didn't even tell people they were broken up. He always knew in the back of his mind that they were going to get back together. I think he just didn't want the embarrassment of being broken up with because at this point, I don't even know if it's so much about the love. I think it's more so about the possession. He can't accept the fact that he was dumped, even though it was his fault. He doesn't want to accept that Gladys has controlled the situation by leaving him. You could tell that he's not really dealing with the fact that he's out of control of the situation too well. And it's literally driving him insane. He would constantly drive around her neighborhood. He would always circle her block. He was constantly calling her. He refused to stop calling no matter how many times she asked him to leave her alone. And James was fed up. He was like, look, I'm going to call the police. He needs to leave you alone. But Gladys was still very protective of Augustine. She understood the fact that he was very high up in society. He had children. And I think in a way she still cared about him. I mean, they were together for seven years. I think she just didn't want him to get in trouble. So she didn't want to call the cops on him. She didn't want to cause any sort of strife. She just thought he would simply go away and move on. But that wasn't happening. Augustine was getting more and more obsessed with Gladys. All he focused on was getting her back. So much so that he was even harassing her family members. One day, Gladys was out shopping with her mother when they decided to part ways and go home. They were done shopping for the day. Gladys goes one way and her mother goes another way. As they parted ways, Augustine completely ambushes Gladys's mother out of nowhere. He's begging her to have Gladys call him and take him back. He's miserable without her. He can't accept it. Of course, Gladys's mother is totally freaked the fuck out. She's like, what the hell? You're crazy. So she just runs away scared. She's like, leave me alone. Leave my daughter alone. You're crazy. At this point, Augustine was getting very, very desperate. And on August 12th, 1999, six weeks before the wedding, Gladys and James were just having a quiet night at home, enjoying their time together, relaxing, you know, kind of getting down to the wire now. The wedding is a little over a month away, but of course, who has to interrupt everything? Augustine. He calls Gladys and he's like, oh, you know, take me back, blah, blah, blah. What are you doing? And James is like, we are not doing this anymore. So he gets really upset. He wants to make Augustine go away. And as they're talking about what to do and Gladys is kind of trying to calm James down, she's like, relax, he's not gonna do anything. All of a sudden they hear glass break. Then they hear somebody banging 
on their front door and are both very alarmed, very scared. They don't know who it is. Didn't take long for them to realize it was Augustine. And he was screaming on the other side of the door, demanding that Gladys take him back, saying that you're not gonna get away with just leaving me for another man. Open the door, take me back. A whole bunch of crap, just going crazy. Augustine starts throwing rocks at the house and one of them breaks the window. At this point, Gladys and James have had enough and they decide to call the police. And I'm gonna play that 911 call for you here. Here. I did it to him about three months ago and he's breaking my window because I don't want to open the door. So just in case you couldn't catch any of that, what happened was Gladys called 911 and she simply stated that her ex-boyfriend that she finished with months ago was breaking her window and she's telling them to hurry up. He's here. I'm afraid of him. And they were like, we're going to send somebody right over. And she was just like, hurry up, please. The police arrive and Gladys decides not to press charges. She just asks that the police patrol her home and protect her, make sure that he doesn't come back. And Augustine apologizes. He promises not to do this again, that he just had a moment of weakness. I think this was more of one of his methods and tactics to kind of gain Gladys's trust and not get her to press charges against him. Unfortunately, it did work. So now we're going to start to get into the events that led up to September 26, 1999, which was Gladys's wedding day. And I do wanna give a quick trigger warning. I am going to be explaining in detail the events of the day. It may be upsetting. We're going to be speaking about homicide, potential suicide. If this is not something that you're comfortable hearing, I advise you to skip ahead. I will make sure I leave a timestamp in the description of the episode for you to do so in case you're uncomfortable. In order to talk about the events that happened on September 26th, we have to talk about the events that happened on September 25th, the night before the wedding. At this point, Augustine, he seems to have kind of left Gladys alone for a few weeks ever since that night kind of seems like he's gone quiet sure he's probably still watching her from afar but they haven't had any more break-ins they haven't had any more incidents like the one that happened that night in august six weeks prior the night before the wedding gladys is at home with her mother and her friends some of her bridesmaids and they were staying at her home and doing some last minute wedding prep and at about 1 a.m one of gladys's friends who was from out of town needed something from the store gladys's mother offers to go get it for her because you know gladys needs her beauty sleep she needs to finish her preparation but Gladys is like, no, she's my guest. I'll go ahead, it's fine. So Gladys heads to a 24-hour supermarket in town called Pathmark, and she's walking up and down the aisles shopping when all of a sudden she hears someone call her name. And she turns around and finds Augustine standing in one of the aisles right behind her. He approaches her very suddenly. There's actually surveillance footage of this interaction and you see them walking up and down the aisles together. No one knows what they're talking about. No one's been able to determine what they were saying to each other, but Augustine has his arm around Gladys as they walk together. Eventually, they both leave the store at the same time, but Gladys returns home, but no one knows where Augustine went. He could have either gone home or he continued to follow her and stalk her. We're really not sure. And now we're heading into the morning of the wedding, September 26th, 1999. Now, the wedding was set to start at 4 p.m. Back at Gladys's house in Ridgefield, New Jersey, she and her family are getting ready. The groomsmen were outside, hanging out, talking, drinking, while Gladys, her mother, her bridesmaids, they were all inside getting ready, taking pictures. Gladys's son, Davis, who at this time was 20 years old, so he's really grown up 
up. He was going to walk his mother down the aisle, which I think is so touching. James, Gladys's husband-to-be, he was waiting at a church in Flushing, Queens, New York, and he was just overjoyed, so excited. He couldn't wait for Gladys to get there. I mean, I can't imagine the anticipation of the day. Gladys had hired a videographer to record everything. She didn't want him to miss any moments at all. He was recording every moment of the day, all the intimate moments that she had with her bridesmaids, her mom, her son Davis. She said, don't miss a thing. Gladys, of course, looked absolutely gorgeous in her wedding dress. She really was very, very pretty. And she was just so happy. I mean, she's finally having the wedding of her dreams with the man of her dreams and her whole family is there to witness it and support her. But of course, you couldn't have thought that Augustine was going to stay away because he's crazy. So as her family is getting ready, someone in the family notices Augustine's car circling Gladys's street. He's just going back and forth, up and down, round and round a few times, watching and waiting like a weirdo. And one of Gladys's nieces from inside the house notices this through the window. She lets another family member know, I have to tell Gladys. But this family member says, no, don't tell Gladys. You're gonna stress her out. Just let it go. He's gonna go away. But he doesn't. Eventually, he stops and parks across the street from her house. And he gets out of the car carrying a briefcase. And this wasn't unusual. Apparently, August always carried a briefcase because, you know, he worked a lot. He had a lot going on. He was a very busy man. Clearly, he wasn't too busy to stalk his ex. And Gladys's brother, Juan, he was one of the groomsmen that was sitting outside just hanging out with a few other people out there. And he also sees Augustine's car circling the block. When Augustine got out and walked up to the house, Juan met him and pretty much told him, you know, you gotta go away. What are you doing here? Augustine claimed that he was invited to the home. He claims that Gladys told him to come over and he swears that he just wants to congratulate her and that he wishes her well. He's just happy for her. And Juan believed him. I mean, he felt like Augustine seemed like he was in great spirits, that he really was happy. And he was just like, okay, fine, go ahead, go inside. And he was a little bit concerned. Everybody was a little weary given the events that had happened over the past few months. But I think he kind of figured that everything would be okay. He did follow behind him just to make sure that nothing got too crazy because Augustine had kind of been, as far as they knew, leaving her alone they really believed that he was over her maybe. So they were just like, okay, maybe he really is here just to congratulate her. So while inside, Gladys, who is just unaware that Augustine is even there, she's taking pictures and handing her bouquets to her bridesmaids and it's all being captured by the videographer, these very nice intimate moments. She's handing the bridesmaids their bouquets that they're gonna walk down the aisle with and then she gives them a nice little kiss. As she's doing this, Augustine is walking into the house undetected. Everyone was kind of just distracted. They didn't really pay any attention like they didn't really see him as everybody is going on about their business augustine opens his briefcase and pulls out a 38 caliber revolver and one of gladys's bridesmaids sees this and just screams and as she screams everybody ducks and runs and augustine fires two shots before being tackled by juan gladys's brother so he was right to follow behind him just in case something went wrong eventually augustine fires three more shots while he's on the ground all of the shots were directed at Gladys. Gladys was hit three times, once in the upper right arm, once in the spine, and once in the head. Everybody was just running out of the house screaming. I mean, her whole family was in there and everybody was terrified. But Juan, he was trying to grab the gun from Augustine because Augustine was trying to reload it. He was trying to reload the goddamn gun, but he couldn't because Juan had control over him. One of Gladys's family members was just terrified. So he decides to call 911 and I'm gonna play that call for you here. Hello, I'm one. There's been a shooting. Okay, we're getting a great shooting. 
So in case you didn't catch that, the caller said that we need an ambulance to Ridgefield, which was the town that Gladys lived in that's in New Jersey. He said that a man came in and shot a bride and someone's been hit. So they say we're gonna send an ambulance over right away. In minutes, the cops arrive and they find Augustine and Juan in the house still wrestling for the gun. Augustine shouted that he wanted to kill himself. Eventually, the cops pulled them apart and handcuffed both of them. And this is procedure until they figure out who the shooter is since they were both wrestling for the gun and they weren't really able to determine who did the actual shooting. But eventually they learned that Juan was in fact the victim's brother and Augustine was arrested immediately and charged with murder. Unfortunately, Gladys succumbed to her injuries and she was pronounced dead at the scene at only 38 years old. And it was said that she was killed instantly. Gladys's body was flown back to the Dominican Republic and her family had a private burial for her there. Gladys's family was absolutely heartbroken. I mean, the fact that they even had to be there to witness it. Nobody should have to watch their family member be murdered like that. And it was in front of her whole family in her wedding dress on her wedding day. James, he's sitting there waiting at the church for her to come and he has to find out that she's been killed and that there will be no wedding. And the most ironic thing about this whole thing is the fact that it was all caught on video. The crime itself, the aftermath, the family outside screaming and crying and shock, everything was caught on video. Gladys just didn't deserve this. The fact that she was just trying to move on with her life and she had to become a victim to this, she did nothing wrong. Those that were close to Augustine were very shocked. He was never known to be a violent person he was very respected in his community. A lot of people looked up to him. He was a very big inspiration for Dominican immigrants because he had made such a successful life for himself in the States. So this made a lot of people very shocked and confused. They didn't really know what to think. Of course, there was a huge media frenzy surrounding this case, just for the simple fact that it was her wedding day, Gladys was killed in her wedding dress, and the whole thing was caught on video. So after being arrested, Augustine was brought to the Bergen County Jail in New Jersey, and he was interviewed by police. He told detectives that he went out of his way to go to Gladys's house. And he was surprised to see all the cars and all the people outside of her home. And he got out to see what was going on. When they asked him to detail the shooting, he claimed that he didn't remember. Eventually, and this is how you always know people are lying, he changed his story. And he admitted that he brought the gun in the house and aimed to shoot only Gladys, but he wouldn't explain why? So the trial started on October 2nd, 2001. I'm really gonna need you guys to buckle up and pay attention because there is a lot going on in this trial. So I'm gonna break it up a little bit to make it easier to understand. First, I'm gonna start with the defense. Augustine's lawyers claimed that he experienced what's known as passion provocation or a crime of passion. A crime of passion is pretty much a crime that someone commits in the heat of the moment. It wasn't planned, it's not premeditated, it's simply just happened given the circumstances. And his defense argued that this caused him to go temporarily insane and resulted in him killing Gladys. His defense claimed that Augustine and Gladys had been together the entire time leading up to her wedding day and that he had no clue that she was getting married. But this to me sounds absolutely ridiculous. How did you not know what was going on in the life of somebody that you had been stalking for months? That makes no sense. And the main reason that the defense was trying to sell this crime of passion story 
story was because this could get the murder charge knocked down to a manslaughter charge. And this reduces the sentence by a lot because normally a murder charge carries a life sentence, whereas manslaughter carries five to 10 years. So they were really trying to get this over to the jury. Lead defense lawyer, Edward Gerergian, wanted to hold a press conference almost every day in order to get the public to understand Augustine's side of the story. At this point, he looks like the crazy ex-boyfriend who killed his ex that he couldn't get over, which is exactly what he is. But the defense team told the press that Gladys was seeing Augustine when she was engaged to James. He claimed that their romantic and sexual relationship never ended and that Augustine really had no idea that Gladys was getting married. And the shock that came from seeing her in her wedding dress, getting ready to marry someone else when he's over here thinking that they're having a relationship still just sent him over the edge. Augustine's daughter, Natisa, actually took the stand in her father's defense and claimed that Gladys and Augustine were intimate just weeks before the wedding. She testified that Gladys had been over to the house and that her father actually told her to go to her room. And then she heard them having sex, which is gross, but it helped his defense. Augustine's neighbor also testified that Gladys was at his home so much that she thought that she lived there and that Augustine didn't. The defense decided to hold another press conference and I think this press conference is what really started to make people look at Gladys differently. In this press conference they showed surveillance footage from the Pathmark supermarket the night before the wedding and it showed as I detailed earlier Gladys and Augustine walking together down the aisles with his arm around her. Now keep in mind we don't know what they were talking about. We don't know the nature of this interaction. But the defense team argued that this was planned, that Gladys asked Augustine to meet her there or that they knew that each other was gonna be there and that they were kind of like hanging out on the low. Everybody kind of started to shift their opinions a little bit towards Gladys because they said, well, if you're getting married in a few hours then why are you at the supermarket with this guy? But mind you, we don't know what they were talking about. We have no idea if this was planned or not. And everybody kind of started to look at Gladys a little bit differently. Even the Spanish community that had been rallying behind her up to this point was starting to have second thoughts about supporting her. And her family was very upset about this. They did not appreciate the fact that her name was being disrespected. They were gonna do something about it. They got the prosecution to request a gag order from the judge and it was granted. So the press conferences had to stop. This mudslinging and the slander had to stop. At this point, you could only speak about the case in court. The defense then played a recorded argument between Gladys and Augustine in court. This recording was actually discovered by Gladys's sister, Norma. And the audio isn't that great, so I'm just gonna explain what they talked about. It was very quick, but you can hear Gladys confronting Augustine about a relationship that he had been having on the side with a woman named Rochelle. Gladys asked him when they started going out. She was like, when did you start going out with Rochelle? I wanna know. Augustine kind of evades the question and he says that you keep asking me questions, but you're not listening to my answer. So he doesn't really answer her question. He claims that he already answered her question and that she's just not listening. Gladys says in Spanish that he is going to destroy the relationship if he doesn't start telling the truth. And if he doesn't start telling the truth, the relationship will end. So the defense tried to use the snippet of a recording to argue that Gladys still cared about who Augustine was messing with, which kind of suggests that they still had a relationship going on after she was engaged to James. But there's no date 
on the tape. It could have been recorded while they were still together, but there's no way to prove it. Either way, if they were broken up, why would she care about who he was messing with? But that's why they're trying to make the point that maybe they never broke up. Again, they can't determine whether or not this tape was recorded before she met James or after she met James. So they tried to use it as a defense, but it didn't really work because they don't know when the tape was recorded. And in a rare move, Augustine decides to take the stand in his own defense. Lawyers don't usually suggest their defendants to testify because it's a really, really risky move. The testimony of a defendant is the most scrutinized and it could be ripped apart on the stand. Honestly, it can determine the outcome of the case. So a lot of the time, the lawyers suggest that their clients kind of just sit back and let them handle it. If the defendant says one wrong thing, it could pretty much invalidate the defense's entire argument. And this is exactly what happened. So Augustine says that he walked into Gladys's home very calmly and he said that Gladys's brother Juan and her son Davis attacked him as soon as he walked in the house. He claimed that he was scared for his safety, so he started to shoot in self-defense. This testimony directly contradicts Augustine's own defense team's theory about what happened that day. The defense team argued that he was shocked and upset when he walked in and saw Gladys in her wedding dress and just went off. There was no self-defense story that was anywhere in this theory. It was like Augustine kind of just threw that in there out of nowhere and everybody was like, what the hell? Where did that come from? So he pretty much just threw a whole curveball that his team was not expecting, was not prepared for. It just kind of made them lose credibility. Augustine is asked to reenact the altercation for the courtroom and he does. And he says that Gladys's son Davis hit him in the head so hard that he blacked out. And at this point, he begins shooting. But there's a few things wrong with this theory. So if you were being attacked by Juan and Davis, why didn't you shoot them? Why did you shoot Gladys? Because in the video, Gladys is handing bouquets to her bridesmaids. She's not posing a threat. So why did you shoot her? Keep in mind, five shots were fired and all of them either hit Gladys or came really close to her. So it's obvious that she was the intended target. No bullets came even close to hitting Juan or Davis. And if they were on top of him, fighting with him, wouldn't they have been at least hit or grazed by a bullet? They weren't hit at all. Not to mention the fact that in the wedding video, there's no commotion heard in the background. Usually if there's a fight, people are staring, there's noise of a scuffle or a struggle or yelling or screaming of some sort and people that are around are gonna be looking at the fight. In the video, it's very quiet in the room until Augustine starts shooting. If he was close enough to shoot Gladys, she would have been able to see that there was some sort of altercation going on. Nobody was reacting to anything going on behind the camera. Everybody was just focused on whatever they were doing. It's almost like Augustine forgot that there was a recording. I don't know how you could say that, oh, there was a fight, but there's video proof that that's not true. And I think Augustine kind of started to sense that what he was saying wasn't making any sense. So he just starts crying. A lot of people in the courtroom said it didn't seem genuine. Even some jurors afterwards came out and said it just was not realistic at all. He was not really crying. Now we're going to get into the prosecution's argument. The lead prosecutor's name was Fred Schwanweedy. He thought that it was very odd that Augustine brought a gun to what he said was a friendly visit. So he tried to present to the jury that this was in fact premeditated because why did you have a gun? in the first place. But the defense argued that he always carried a gun. Again, he was a very important person. He had a lot of money. He didn't always frequent the best areas in New York. So he kind of felt like he needed to protect himself, but he had extra bullets with him. I don't know if that's rare or not, but that to me seems a little bit odd. And remember, he was trying to reload the gun after firing five shots. There wasn't a lot of passion there. You 
had this planned. You knew you were going to use those bullets. And the prosecution could not wait to show the smoking gun in this case and present it to the jury, which was the wedding video, which shows the shooting. And this pretty much right there just invalidated Augustine's entire theory that there was a fight going on because there was clearly no fight going on if you look at the video. The prosecution also presented to the jury that they found license plate numbers written on a paper found in Augustine's car. When they ran these plate numbers, they found out that they belonged to cars that were parked near Gladys's house in the months leading up to her murder. So this just proved that Augustine had been stalking Gladys for months. The prosecution, they also decided to show the supermarket surveillance footage from the night before the wedding. Remember the defense, they were trying to use this to paint Gladys as someone that was leading a double life and cheating on her fiance. But the prosecution took this video and they put their spin on it. They suggested that when Gladys left her house to go to the supermarket, Augustine was already stalking her and he followed her car there. Out of nowhere, he ambushed her and came up from behind her and grabbed her in the store. They said that in the video, you can see that her body language was very guarded and closed off and that she was scared. And they claimed that she didn't want to react and make him get off of her because she didn't want to cause a scene in the store. So that was their take on it. They pretty much used this video that the defense was trying to use to make Gladys look bad and they flipped it right back around. The defense was really doing everything they could to prove that this was in fact premeditated. Augustine had been stalking Gladys for months. He had been incessantly calling her, watching her, following her. He ambushed her mother for crying out loud. He was always driving around her block. He was watching her all the time. They just knew this was no coincidence that this happened on her wedding day. On October 18th, 2001, both sides decided to give their closing arguments. And on October 22nd, 2001, the jury deliberated for one day before coming back with the verdict. And the verdict was that Augustine was guilty of first degree murder. And it was a unanimous decision. The jury believed that the defense actually did a pretty good job at raising questions about the state of Augustine and Gladys's relationship around the time of her murder, but it just wasn't enough to prove heat of passion. They felt that Augustine had time to think about his actions while he was circling that block, but he decided to go inside anyway. They felt like that was his time to think and he acted incorrectly. It wasn't like he just pulled up, saw everything and started shooting and going crazy. He circled around the block a few times before he went inside and did what he did. And they felt like that right there was enough premeditation. Of course, Gladys's family was so relieved that the jury didn't buy the heat of passion story, the crime of passion story, because they knew from day one that that wasn't the case. And they also decided to address the media and say that they did not appreciate the way that Gladys had been perceived as if her being killed was her fault because of supposedly leading Augustine on. And I 100% agree. I don't think it's fair for them to try to blame the fact that Augustine killed her on the fact that she may have still been seeing him on the side. We don't know if she was still seeing him. And even if she was, that does not give him the right to kill her. They were trying to make the defense that, oh, it would have been a heat of the moment. No, he had been stalking her for months. There was no heat in no damn moment. He knew what he was gonna do. I think that he was trying all the way up until the last night to convince her to take him back. And when he wouldn't, I think he made up his mind right then and there what he was gonna do the next day. But that's just my theory. On February 1st, 2002, Augustine was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole in 30 years. And he was 47 at the time of being convicted. So there's a good chance that he'll probably spend the rest of his life in jail. I'm so happy that her family got justice. It doesn't bring her back, but I'm so glad that they're able to kind of close the chapter of this part and move on and begin to heal now that they have the child behind them. So on the one year anniversary of Gladys's death, a woman named Josie Ashton from Florida decided to run a marathon in her own wedding 
dress, which is very interesting. And people were kind of like, uh, what you doing there, Josie? She wanted to make a statement against domestic violence in Gladys's honor. And a group of advocates in New York that had been supporting Gladys's family, they took note of this and they really liked that concept. So they decided to grow this into a movement. They formed the New York Latinas Against Domestic Violence. They held a bride march in New York every year on the anniversary of Gladys Frickert's death in order to raise awareness about domestic violence. So they would dress up in wedding gowns and they had signs. They were really advocating for the education of red flags in a relationship in order to prevent situations like this. So they really wanted to educate women on what to look out for in order to understand the danger that they may be in and take the proper steps to remove themselves from these potentially dangerous situations. Gladys's sister, Norma, she came out and said that had we known about the resources that were available, Gladys probably could have reached out and gotten someone to help her protect against Augustine. Her family really took part in this. They absolutely loved the idea of this, knowing that Gladys didn't just die in vain. Something came of it, and this really helped them heal the trauma that they had faced after having to witness her death in such a horrible way. In 2002, the Mary Claire magazine actually sponsored one of the marches in Gladys's honor, and they held the march that year in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. And none other than the beautiful, glorious Salma Hayek was front and center as the spokesperson for the march because she is also a part of the Latina community. So this hit very close to home for her. Gladys will always be remembered as a sweet, wonderful, beautiful person. She was a great friend. Everybody loved her who knew her. And she was so ambitious. The fact that she was able to create such a great life for herself in the U.S. after not coming from much, it really is commendable. And it's so sad that we couldn't see more of what she could become. During her short life on earth, she really did what she could to make it better for herself and her son. But with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode. I told you it was going to be a crazy one. Thank you so much for listening. And I really hope that this episode shines a light on domestic violence and just knowing what to look out for, knowing the red flags. A lot of times people will ignore these red flags because they don't want to see the bad in someone, but it could save your life if you know someone that's going through something similar and you see these red flags. Don't take things like this lightly. Really look into it and do what you can to support yourself and the people around you in order to get out of these dangerous situations. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We'll be back with another episode next week and I hope to see you in the water soon.